can't believe I just did that. So uh, That was not for me. I just used it to get up here. Uh, before I tell you who it was for, I want to talk for a second about Rocky, because it's a pretty popular movie or series of movies. And I think there's lots of reasons we identify with those Rocky movies and we love them. Um, he obviously is sort of the little guy who gets beat up on and knocked down and bloody and just looks hopeless in every one of the movies. But what we love about it is he just won't quit. And in every movie he fights back and wins. Well, here we're here to talk about today, way beyond Rocky, we're here to talk about the church. And the truth is, the church embodies those concepts from Rocky. If you look at the 2,000 years of church history, it has been beat up, it has been knocked down, it has been written off, it has been labeled as hopeless, antiquated, outdated, it's done. And it's still here. The church is the ultimate Rocky. And that's what we want to look at today. I think this chapter of the story, and we actually only have a couple chapters left, I think this chapter of the story covers more books of the Bible, more chapters than any other section out of the 31 weeks. And I confess to you, as I stood back and looked at all of these letters... And said, okay, Jim, all we got to do is narrow this down into one sermon, piece of cake. I thought, well, what really stands out as we look at all of these books in the New Testament, all of these letters Paul wrote, all that he did, what are the key things that we want to zero in on? What are the lessons for us that we need to hear out of the church and the New Testament? And today I want us to look at three things that to me stand out as I look at that scope of the church in the New Testament. The first thing that um, um, there we go. The first thing that stands out for me, and it's a lesson I think we need to capture, and that is Christians don't get a free pass. And, and the reason I think it's important for us to capture this is that it's a popular misconception that I see a lot of Christians having today. And when we don't get a free pass, they wrestle with that. Uh, because I think a lot of people today feel like, you know, if I'm a real Christian, if I love God, then somehow God owes me a blessed life. I mean, if I'm really doing my part, then God's part is to make stuff in my life work. Work should work out, my relationships should work out, my finances should work out, my health should work out. All these things should go pretty well if I live a blessed life. It's sort of a, an agreement that God and I have. And a lot of people expect that, and part of the problem is, well, then what happens when life doesn't look like that? And there's a number of people, and maybe you're one of them, who step back and say, I think God didn't keep his end of the bargain. Well, I think it's important for us to look at the early church because there's a lesson for us there. The, 
the church is clearly something that was important to God. We saw that last week. That the church is a part of God's plan. It's a key piece. And that God himself is going to be building the church. And his spirit is here to help with the church. So my point is God's pretty committed to the church. And yet even for the church, God didn't make everything work out fine for them. And one of the things we see throughout Paul's life, throughout the beginning of the church for hundreds of years, when the church was brand new, is that even though God was committed to the church, they first faced persecution, they faced terrible suffering. And that the the presence of difficulty in our lives doesn't always mean that God isn't keeping his part of the deal. Sure, we all want to admit, and it's true, there are times bad things come in our life, sometimes because we've done wrong. We haven't kept our end of the bargain. That's reality, and we need to acknowledge that. But that doesn't explain everything. There's times that bad things happen in our lives, and it's not because God's not keeping his end of the bargain. It's not because we've done wrong. The church faced opposition because the church was living in this broken world just like we are. Paul summarizes some of the suffering that he had gone through. And I want to read that. We all think we have a bad life and struggles, but when you hear somebody else's, you realize maybe I don't have such bad struggles. People, some people were putting Paul down and he said, let me tell you what I've gone through for the sake of the church. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Hear that big sticks. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. So about everybody. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Paul was just trying to make the point, even as the Apostle Paul Life hasn't been easy. There's been lots of struggles and anguish in my life. And I want us to capture that first lesson that stands out from the New Testament. Because really when the New Testament was ending, they were just heading into even worse persecutions. And for the next about 200 years, the church would suffer terribly. But they never doubted. It wasn't God loving them. They knew God loved them, even though they were going to face persecution. And the truth is that sometimes suffering comes into our lives, your life, my life, sometimes because we are Christians, because we are standing with God, because we are righteous, and we're doing the right thing, and that turns people against us. And sometimes suffering comes because 
we are born and live in a broken world where evil is powerful and evil hates the good. And evil does destructive things that are like ripples that go out and are destructive to other lives than the evil lives doing them. And for all of those reasons, we need to realize that sometimes there will be bad things in our lives. And the fact that we love God and that God loves us doesn't remove that reality. And it's not a statement. And, and we all want to go there. I want to go there. My head, my heart. God, where are you? The same David that um, Mark read his praise to God for his love. Earlier in the Psalms will say, How long, O Lord, must I suffer? There were times David wrestled and said, God, where are you? But David's bottom line conclusion when the day was over, whatever has happened to me, God still loves me. And he hasn't bailed on me. He hasn't abandoned me. There's other stuff going on, but I've still got my hand in God's. That's the first lesson I, we need to learn from the early Christians. The second lesson is they wouldn't quit. Whatever happened, they wouldn't quit. And to capture this attitude of I won't quit, this rocky attitude, I want us to go over to the book of Acts when the church was brand new. And John and Peter were telling others about Jesus, which is what Jesus told them to do. We saw that a couple weeks ago. They were obeying their orders from Jesus. And the same people who had crucified Jesus brought them in and said, you need to stop talking to others about Jesus or we're going to do to you what we did to him. Now this was very fresh in their minds. We, it's too distant for us. We think this is not a big deal. I think it was a big deal for them. Only months earlier, they had seen these same people in authority kill Jesus. They were still living with that pain. And now these same leaders were looking them in the eye and saying, you shut up or we'll do to you what we did to Jesus. So over in Acts 4, this is how Peter and John responded. I want to begin in verse 18 and we'll skip down a little bit. But 18 and 18 through 20, these leaders called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help being witnesses testifying about Jesus. Now jump down to verse 29. The, the, Peter and John got thrown out of the, the court. They went to where the other Christians had been praying. Now you want to see this rocky spirit, and it was not just in Peter and John. Pick up in verse 29. So they're now all together church prayer meeting, Okay. Now, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your spirits, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That was their request. It wasn't protect us. It wasn't help us hide. Help us not get caught. It wasn't kill them. It was just God give us boldness to do it more. 31 is an obvious result. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They wouldn't quit. It didn't matter what they were threatened with. It didn't matter that they were persecuted. I never have forgotten reading in a book years ago a commentator writing about the early Christians and evangelism, and he said, what was it that caused people to walk the aisle on Sunday and accept Jesus, knowing they might face the lions by Thursday? But they still came forward on Sunday. What would cause that? This spirit that we won't quit. We will be Christians. Well, as Peter says to the crowd, who do you love more? Their choice was, we love God more. More than what people will say, more than what people will think, more than our own bodies and what might happen to us, we love God more. And we are going to follow Jesus, and he asked us to do this, so we're going to do it. Whatever the cost, we're going to follow him. And so wherever they went, they told others about Jesus. Even at one point, it, it, I don't have the reference, but it was in the story this week. If you read the chapter, Paul gets arrested and is taken before a ruler named Festus. And most of us would be saying, okay, what am I going to do for my, where's my defense attorney? What am I going to say to defend myself? And Paul's attitude is, oh boy, I get to tell somebody else about Jesus. I mean, that was just his perspective. Anywhere he went, anybody he ran into, he wanted to help them know who he knew. Jesus Christ. And that was a lesson they need to teach us. To never quit. It's a lesson we need to hear. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Because if we can be honest for a minute... The truth is, for a lot of us, we don't talk about Jesus very much. Spiritual discussions are out of style right now. And a whole lot of us as Christians have shut up. We have quit. Way too much. I don't know what it needs to look like. I, I, it's not going to look like it used to look like. We're not going to hold revivals and handing out tracts isn't helping people. But we have to wrestle with what do we do? What do we do to embody this same spirit of we never quit because others need to know the good news we have? And how do we do that in loving ways? Honest ways, truthful ways, helpful ways. Like these early Christians when they were even put in jail. They said, oh good, I get to talk to my jailer about Jesus. They never quit. And they never quit because they were confident. They never had a doubt, not because they were so powerful, 
not because they were so smart or they had the majority, they didn't. They were confident because they knew God was with them. And they knew that God could overcome anything. Remember what was fresh in their minds? They had just touched Jesus after they watched him die on a cross. And they knew that their God had the power to even raise people from the dead. And if their God could do that, what could Rome do to them? Go ahead, kill us. We win. That sort of removes your trump card, doesn't it? Because the worst thing you can do is kill me. And if in killing me I win, what do you have left? They had that confidence. We've seen it before. It's a common verse, but it needs to be. From Romans 8, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. That is a principle we need to hold on to too. It's something the early Christians held on to as they faced persecution. That in all things, God is for us. And if he is for us, he is going to be working And turning good in some way through this, even though it might be persecution or imprisonment or loss or whatever. Now, that's a theory. That's a principle. The early Christians followed it. I want you to flip over with me because Paul takes it to a practical level. And he writes this from a jail cell. And the early Christians were getting discouraged because Paul was in jail. And Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. Romans 8 is still true. It's still working. Turn over to Philippians 1. And I just want us to read a couple verses here. He's writing to them, saying, don't you feel bad because I'm in jail. God's still winning. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Stop for just a second. Paul said, I got to preach to the soldiers. I got to preach to the prison guards. It's awesome to be in here. And not only that good came from it, and... Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why? Because this God we are telling people about can even turn a prison cell into a positive. And if that's what our God is like, then we don't have to be fearful. We can be bold and not hesitate. Because our God can take anything and work good from it. That's confidence. And so, of course, Paul's classic statement of this is over in 2 Corinthians 12. This would be how Paul puts that principle of Romans 8.28 and how he has lived it 
and what he has come to understand it means for his life. If you read the section before, I'm going to pick up here in verse 9. Paul had had problems in his life. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And three times he had begged God to remove it. God says, I'm sorry, Paul, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fix your problem. But what God did say to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I want to stop for just a second. Keep your finger. We're going to pick up reading. I I don't like the word perfect there because it doesn't capture the meaning of the Greek word Paul uses. What 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 the Greek word that Paul uses is it is made complete. You get to see, God is saying, you get to see my power in all of its vastness, in all of its glory, when you're weak. Because it's when you're weak that I get to show what I can do. That's what God's saying to Paul. And that's what Paul has learned. That when I as a human am the weakest, when I'm in over my head, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's when the shackles come off for God. And he says, oh good, let me show you what I can do. And he gets to demonstrate all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his amazing ability to take defeat and turn it into victory. And Paul said, I've learned that. I've learned it in prison cells. I've learned it in getting stoned. I've learned it in getting beaten. So Paul's conclusion, let's go back. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Because when I'm weak, I am the strongest. You don't have to cry in prison. And that's why Paul writes the letter of Philippians from prison, and we call it the letter of joy. How do you write a letter of joy in prison? Because you have this confidence. That my God can take a prison cell and it will unleash his power. And I will see more of God and more of what he can do. Because I'm sitting in prison. So Paul says, I have learned to actually look forward to those difficulties. Not because he's some kind of masochist but because he knows he gets to watch God amaze him again. And he gets to step back and say, wonder what you're going to do this time, God. I, there's times I've stood and said, God, I, I, I'm, I can't imagine how you're going to turn good out of this. It's, it's, I, I confess, it's a little bit of sort of a challenge to God. Because it's like, I look at this God and there ain't no way good from this. But he does. He does. And out of that, you gain a confidence. So how do we react to our difficulties? Do we try and fix them ourselves? Do we get mad at God because he allowed these difficulties into our lives? Or do we just sit and feel defeated? Depressed, don't talk to me, I'll bite your head off. 
Or do we go to God and talk with him and give him an open door and invite him in and say, God, please come. I want to see how you work this time. I want to see your power unleashed in all of its glory. Work a miracle here. I just want to watch. But you see, in that process, we're coming towards God, not away. We haven't faced much persecution in our country. I've been privileged to meet a few Christians on the other side of the world who have been persecuted. And without fail, they have all blown me away. Because before I met them, my assumptions were they'd be pretty down. You know, you wouldn't see many smiles. They'd be reading a lot of those sort of dark psalms of, oh God, we're suffering. That's not it at all. I, I saw more joy in their lives than in mine. More praise for God because they were seeing this lived out. Was the persecution removed? No. But there was a confidence in them because they knew God was with them. They just were waiting to see what he was going to do. It's not just a Bible principle. It works today. And there are Christians around the globe today who are experiencing this kind of confidence. The same God we have. The same God who can give us that same confidence. And so the results for the first Christians, they rejoiced. Despite their suffering, they never quit. They kept telling anybody who would listen about Jesus. Because they wanted others to find what they had found. And nobody could stop that. They threw them in prison. They made them face the lions in the Colosseum. Nobody could make them stop. Because they knew God was with them. And they knew they were going to win. And that's our chapter next week. How the church wins. But they knew they were going to win. They didn't know what it would look like. They didn't know all the details. They just knew God was with them. And they were going to win. And so they did not hesitate. And they serve as a challenge to us. To be like them. I realize today is Mother's Day, and we had committed last fall to do the story, and I knew it would continue through Mother's Day. I did think it was rather ironic that we were going to preach on persecution on Mother's Day. So, I, you know, moms, you can just do with that what you want. But as I was finishing this sermon... I also realize that, moms, I think there's some real lessons for you here, too. And I want to take just a few minutes to draw those lessons for Mother's Day. First of all, moms, your struggles don't necessarily mean you're doing a bad job or that God doesn't love you. Struggles come into the lives of the righteous. 
And I know if you're, an, as a, if you're a mom and things aren't working well at home or you're struggling with kids or you're struggling with yourself and you're wondering where is God in all this or you're blaming yourself because you haven't been a perfect mom. Challenges come in every life. Even the lives of the righteous, even righteous families struggle. It's part of this broken world. So maybe you should beat up on yourself less. Because it's part of this life. The early church faced it just because they were here, righteous, living in a broken world. If God doesn't fix everything right away, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He does care. And just as the early Christians held on to that truth of the love of God, You hold on to that too. God does care. As much as he cared about Paul when he let him sit in a jail cell, Paul never doubted he cared. The second point I would make is rely on him, turn to him, that he might help you. He wants to help you. Turn to him. Talk to him. Read his word. Talk with other Christians. Let God pour himself into your life to help you in the challenges you are facing. Mother with God as your co-parent. The truth of Scripture is, please hear this, moms. The truth of Scripture is God loves your children more than you do. And when that becomes a reality for you, there is a peace there. Because you will not always be able to be with them. You will not always be able to protect them. You will face all kinds of limitations, but you are not alone as their mother. God loves them even more than you do. Parent with him, aware of his help, love, presence, so you never feel alone as a mom. And rest in that love of God who can turn anything to good. Whatever difficulties you're facing, it's not that God necessarily caused them, but He is smart enough to use them. Somewhere, somehow, to teach lessons, to bring good, to refine a life, to change a direction, to wake up somebody. It may be very painful right now, but God will bring good. He can, if you'll let him. It's what he wants to do. May not be instantly. May not be this week. But rest in that confidence Paul found. He spent two years imprisoned with Felix. And he just said, oh, it's a chance to talk more. And afterwards he says, oh, God, you used that, didn't you? That's his lesson for all of us. All of us as moms, too. In God, you can find hope and peace and confidence that all of us can find as Christians. And moms, God wants you to find this Mother's Day. It's his gift to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope you offer to all of us. Not that you make life perfect for us now but that you will be with us through the difficult times 
And if we will stand with you and hold your hand, you will take care of us and work and bring good from even difficult times. I pray those truths would be real for moms today. And that they would find in you a peace and a help and a confidence and your love as a source for their love. In your son's name.